0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. All right, y'all, just a heads up. This episode
1: contains some salty language, so it's going to be some cussing. What's good, y'all? You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Gene Demby. And not that long ago, we did one of our favorite kinds of episodes, Ask Code Switch. It's where we take often very personal questions about race and identity that we get from y'all, the listeners of Code Switch Nation, and try to report them out and contextualize them and offer up some advice. And those are often like our most contentious episodes because people have very strong feelings about the answers we get from experts and the conclusions we arrive at. You know, like all advice. But on a recent Ask Coach Which episode, we focused on race and parenting. That is, how we should go about talking about these big questions around identity with our parents. How do you set boundaries with immigrant parents that think it's disrespectful to set boundaries? Where
0: does the idea that certain small physical traits like having straightened hair
2: are too grown come from? Why did you fight harder to ensure that I was accepted into white American culture than you did to ensure that i was accepted into latin culture
1: at the time we recorded that episode i was identifying mostly with the letter writers as somebody's child thinking through how that relationship should look since everybody is an adult right but since then i have joined the other club the parent club As y'all know, I've been out and away from Code Switch, getting to know my own child. And it's been a mind-bending experience. As my friend Kasha told me, you just love your kids so much that it almost breaks your brain. And that suddenly makes your parents much more legible to you. Like, oh, so this is how you felt about me? Like, no wonder you're so ridiculous. And now the IG algorithm is spraying, you know, all kinds of cute kid content my way. And the search engine is trying to get me to buy baby clothes. And I'm trying on this new identity, father, and I I really don't know what it is I'm doing, y'all. I was raised by my mom with lots of help from my grandmother and aunts and my older cousin. And so I don't really have a template to work from. But I realized a lot of people who do have one are struggling with some of this stuff, too. So before the baby came, I reached out to a lot of my friends to talk to them about their own fathers and their feelings about fatherhood. And things got real heavy. There were some very dramatic estrangements. One friend's father chose a cult back in Philly over their family. Another friend's dad was shot and killed during a robbery while he was driving a cab. But for most of the people who were gracious enough to let me pick their brains about this stuff, their fathers were more mundane mysteries, like taciturn, maybe functioning more as a disciplinarian than a source of counsel or affection, that whole thing. And so... Even though they had examples of fathers in their lives, they wanted the way fatherhood might look, either, you know, done by themselves or with their future partners, to look a lot different. Of course, this all assumes a male parent, right? This is all very hetero. There are countless families headed by two adult women or one adult woman, like mine, or in which no one identifies as a woman or a man. And so another thing that kept coming up really organically in these conversations I was having with people was... What even is fatherhood? Like, how much care work done by a male parent is, and I'm doing air quotes here, fatherhood and not just parenting? Is there some ineffable thing that makes someone a dad that makes what you do fathering? These are big questions, so, you know, I had to call in some help. Y'all probably remember Hari Kondabolu, the stand-up comedian from his documentary, The Problem with Apu, or his Netflix special, Warn Your Relatives. A lot of his comedy is about race and identity and the incoherence of it all. And as he told us on a recent Code Switch Live show, he also recently became a father himself. And so Hari pulled up the metaphorical co-host chair to chop it up with me
2: man, gene, i'm I'm so glad to be here. I am glad to be talking to another young father. I'm glad to be talking to anybody since I've been inside for way too long. And we took on this deliberately provocative question. Is fatherhood even necessary today? Oof You know, I it's complicated because on one hand, it's like, what's the difference between fatherhood and parenting, right? And then when you start creating differences, those are gender differences, right? And, like, examples that are based on, like, gender norms. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, especially in the last few years in the mainstream, there's been more of, like, a, a critical questioning of gender, right? And so it's almost like, well, you know, even, like, even claiming I'm a father, and let's say, you know, I have a son, right, like... Even Mm -hmm. that, just saying I have a son is like, okay, I'm going with what he was assigned at birth, which I guess I helped assign it. Like, you know, as a a father who is is raising a son, I still want to try to teach my kid not to be a piece of shit, right? You know, how do I raise a kid that is not steeped in toxic masculinity that, you know, maybe he's still seeing in the outside world. I want them to know that, like, uh, being a quote-unquote man does not have to look this way and at the same time i'm like i don't know if conveying that stuff is is limiting him and also reinforcing something in society should i just be viewing this as a human being i'm a human being raising a human being and i'm like i <laughs> i don't know and that's usually when the kid poops and then you know you, you don't you stop thinking about it you're just like whoever this animal is the diaper has to be changed <laughs> yeah i mean
1: you know that gif with, like, Puffy uh, and that dude where they're just sort of staring at each other? Like, <laughs> I feel like that is me and, and my baby right now It's like, just trying to size each other up. And I actually don't know who in that gif I am if I'm Puffy <laughs> looking, uh, like, judging the other person or, or the person during the headlines being judged. But right now, I feel like I'm thinking all these big existential thoughts, and the logistics of being a parent is just, like, feeding sleeping pooping cuddling right like yeah yeah um we're not at the stage where we're necessarily talking like like my kid doesn't understand anything yet right but i know that we're going to have to sit with these big questions about like you said not being a piece of shit um and gender and race very soon um like these are not avoidable questions and also that the way that i'm answering these questions is going to be very different from the way that my mom answered these questions for me, right? That's right. right. And you and I have talked about this a little bit before, but I'm wondering who, if anyone, you were looking to as a template for like the kind of father you would like to be.
2: Hmm. I mean, you know, I think I'm fortunate enough or depending on your situation, um, you know, to have a, a father that is in my life, uh, was there growing up so so you know I guess the assumption is well you know isn 't that the role model and you know i i I have complicated feelings you know about that i mean I think my my father, like a lot of men from a lot of different cultures you know i 'm going to talk specifically about my South Indian culture, mm-hmm. like grew up uh steeped in patriarchy, as did my mother, right, so you know growing up he he never cooked, he never cleaned, he never uh, you know, did the laundry, he didn't, like, all these things that were considered women's work. And the thing is, that was reinforced to me not only by the fact that he didn't do those things, that my mother did those things, but also if I was going to the kitchen or wanted to help, I was told, this isn't your job. Um, by who? So it was by my mother. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's why I mean, Patriarchy is deep. It's not just, like, men who are affected by it. Like, it becomes part of... It's like this is how you raise a boy, which is confusing to me looking at it now because my mom is somebody who broke lots of gender norms uh, in southern India as a woman that was educated, who didn't want to get married as her first, like, this is what I want to do, but I want to be a a doctor. She was a doctor very young with her own practice, and then she got married, moved to America, and lost those things. So I'm like, you're already somebody, one, who defied so many – uh, gender norms and expectations and then you kind of like went along with it and you know weren't able to do the thing you love so to me it's like why are we accepting this and that's what I think now back then I was just you know you're a kid you're just going with what you're told um, so like a lot of times I have a tough time because I'm like that's not what I want to be as a partner and a and a father. So oftentimes who I end up modeling myself after are my peers. You know, I'm I'm 39 years old. My partner also is, uh, you know, in my age range. I feel bad because it's like, is, is it stupid that I'm not giving her age? Isn't that a stereotype of women, but at the same time, I don't know. Uh, anyway, but the point is that I'm an older father. So I've had friends who've had kids who are now like 8, 9, 10 years old. And seeing them be parents and seeing them be fathers and seeing them... Uh, be partners in, at least in the examples I'm giving in heterosexual relationships, you know, I see how um, they contribute in the household. The fact that they see the work of a household as something that is shared, that is not gendered, um, that they acknowledge that their partner has work too, that both of them are doing work outside the house. So, the work in the house has to be split, which is my mom had a full time job and was doing all the other stuff as uh, a a quote unquote, like as a quote unquote housewife and mother. So, she was doing two or three jobs, two of them at least that weren't being paid for, you know, that were not monetized. So, my best friend is behaving in a way that I find admirable and that I want to emulate. How he talks to his wife, how. You know, they both work through issues together as parents, and it's not. That, I mean, look, I get it. Like they, they definitely fight, like all human beings mm-hmm. fight, and they have their issues. But I see how they parent together, and you know, I'm I'm in my like late twenties watching this, and it's so foreign to me. You know, to see how it works. I not only because it's my friend that's parenting, but also like I didn't have that experience growing up, nor did he probably. I mean, what about for you? What is it like for you to parent in this situation? And also, how? who are your models as a parent and, I guess, as a father? Yeah, I mean, that's such a a heavy question. It's part of the reason why I decided to
1: start um, asking my friends about their experiences with their fathers. Because... You know, I've talked about this a little bit on the show before, but I didn't grow up with my father at, at home at all. One of the reasons I don't like talking about it is because it always feels like this, like, cultural pathology thing. Like, oh, a black man, another black child who was raised in this fatherless home in the 1980s and 90s. Mm. But it really didn't feel like that. Like, you know, like, I grew up in a neighborhood where there weren't a lot of fathers around. And so there was nothing about it that seemed anomalous to me, right? Mm. Um, and if anything, the fathers who were, like, in my block, in my neighborhood, who were, like, you know, there were a bunch of kids on my block and we all played together. And the three or four kids who had fathers in the home had the kind of fathers that seemed like agents of chaos to me, right? Like, it did not feel like, to me, that life would be better off if if a cat like that was in my house. You know what I mean? Mm. When I talked to my friends about it, I was like, oh, well, you have a blank slate. And I was like, well, I don't, right? I took the same cultural scripts that everyone else gets too, right? And I don't, I don't know how much they work, right, for me which is one of the reasons I want to talk to my friends. And like you said, like a lot of the people who I look to as
2: models of how to do this are contemporaries of mine. Right. So when you talk about like not liking like the scripts, are you talking about those examples or are you talking about just everything that you've seen in media and in your life in terms of like what, like the script for a father is?
1: Yeah. You know, all of the stuff, like all the dude stuff that I learned in my life, like I learned from the women in my life, right? Like, my cousin Carol told me how to shoot a basketball, right? Right. Like, my mom told me about what, you know, she told me the rules of football, right? She told me about, like, this is a 4 3 defense. Like, you know, we were in Philly, you know what I mean? Everybody's an Eagles fan, so whatever. You know what I mean? But, like, the people who were in my world who were doing all of the things that are, like, stereotypically masculine were women, the people who tied my ties, right? And, like, you know what I mean? The idea that those things are the domain of men is not necessarily true, right? So then it's like, okay, so what is it that a father would do? And if it's not these, like, Like you said, if it's not these sort of stereotypical male things, then it's like, oh, we're talking about this other stuff, right? We're talking about being emotionally available and being present and being accountable, right? Um, Right. And that is not necessarily a model I've seen in real life outside of my contemporaries. After the break, more of my convo with Hari Kondabolu. Stay with us, y'all.
0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docu series Black Twitter: A People's History from Onyx Collective and Hulu. Support for NPR comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.
1: In this country, some truths aren't self-evident. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as wide-ranging and real as the people who tell them, we celebrate the Black experience for all its soul and richness. Search NPR
0: Black Stories, Black Truths, wherever you get podcasts.
1: Gene. Hari. Code Switch. Before the break, I was talking to Hari Kondabolu about fatherhood and parenting and race. And as new parents of kids who will have different racial identities from different generations than us, we were really curious about that inevitable distance and experience between them
2: and us. You know, your child will be mixed. Mine Mm -hmm. will as well. Your partner's an Indian American, right? Yeah, she's South Asian. Yep. Mm-hmm. She's from India. Yep. So she came and, over as
1: an immigrant when she was three. Um, oh, she's yeah. the real deal then. She grew up in California, to be
2: like, you know what I mean? Like, right. all her references are like Luther Vandross and, and, right. and Anita Baker. Like, it's, it's fun. Like, it's fun. Like, she, yeah, I mean, yeah. My partner's, you know, Puerto Rican and, and Italian and, you know, reads as white. So my child, like, I don't know, you know, what he will look like as he gets older. Cause I, right now he's still, like, you see some somewhat of an outline but he's still clay so i don't you know i don't know i mean how how do you feel about that like when you see your child do you immediately identify with your child like physically
1: so a funny thing is like everybody i know says that my son looks exactly like me which i don't see but everyone's like no Mm. he looks exactly like you but one of the things that i think about a lot is like even in my family like a kid with his complexion. He's somewhere between me and my wife. Um, I'm dark-skinned. She's like... Well, I guess we see olive color, but I don't even know what that... I don't, what is olive color but he's like butterscotch right um and right. he's getting darker all the time but like in my family there's plenty of people as dark as me and, and as light as him you know what i mean mm. so he looks like you know a Demby, right at the same time there's all these experiences that i have moving through the world as a dark skinned black man that he will not have as a like as a light skinned black person and like yeah. there's going to be all these ways in which that will not be exactly applicable to him right mm. and the way people respond to him like i know what it is like to be a black man and my age in the world, but also, like, he's going to live in a world that is materially different around a lot of the stuff, right? Like, I imagine this is sort of what mom felt. Like, she was born in 48. She was in D.C. at Howard when the King riots happened in 1968, right? Like, she lived in a different world, right? She has, like, a bunch of racial politics that she imparted to me and also, like, are not my racial politics because we grew up in, like, a very different world, right? Mm. I know my mom had a very specific anxiety over my safety when I was a kid, right, when I was, like, becoming an adolescent. And I was no, no longer had, like, baby fat on my face, right? Um, and I was about the police. And, like, I, I know that that's going to be a, a thing that's going to be, like, crushing for me. Like, that is going to be, like, a waking concern for me all the time. We live in a black and Latino neighborhood that is, like, gentrifying in D.C. And there are cops everywhere, everywhere there's a police car up until like three or four weeks ago that was like posted up on our corner every day all day all night till like three in the morning with the lights blinking and it was annoying because i'd be trying to put this baby down with the like police blue blue and whites like blinking in the in the house and i'm like sooner or later it's going to because that's the the nature of like the united states like he's going to have contact with these people and it can go all kinds of ways and i just i had a lot of resentment around it before but now I have like a deeper like more sort of like Um, the directional sort of anxiety about
2: it, you know what I mean? It's strange, Gene, because I feel like I have the flip side of that. Say more. I'm curious. You know, because my child most likely will be lighter than me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, neither of us know. That variable is is very haunting, right? Like, how will they be read by the world and how will they be treated as a result of that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, You know, and, and the hope that the world is a lot better when they hit a certain age than it was for us and our parents and so forth and so on. But, you know, that fear that you have of, like, the idea of this legacy of racism, the day-to-day functioning within a, a structure of racism affecting your child and that bitterness, there was a, there was a moment which, I, you know, I was, I'm embarrassed about but is real, that when my, my child was, was born and he was light, you know, much lighter than me, and I thought to myself, like, maybe this is good because his life will be easier. And mm-hmm. and I'm like, but that's everything I'm against. Yeah. You know, how, how do you turn to that person, right, who believes in uh, public school, but your kids in private school? Yeah, like, exactly. How does that how happen? It happen? Yeah, exactly. And I had that moment where, like, I wasn't thinking as me as a person with these values who tries to live out his values in his life. It was me thinking as a father who's only thinking about like I just want everything to work out for him, and mm-hmm. it was just an awful, an awful feeling, and it was an awful feeling because it also is almost like so much of what I've done in my life is talk about the unfairness of white privilege and, and whiteness and the history of of race in this country and how like it affects all of us to this day, and and, and yet. There was a part of my brain when I saw my child that wanted him to have some of those advantages. Hmm.
1: I'm actually curious, like, what are some of the things that you grew up loving from your childhood, that you cherish from your childhood, that will be the hardest
2: things to replicate for your own child oh man playing on the street yes i haven't seen kids yell car in such a long time like you're playing like whether it's like a basketball hoop set up in um in someone's front yard or um you know whether it's playing football on the street or baseball whatever and then all of a sudden a car is turning and everyone yells car and you run out of the way Mm -hmm. like that makes me feel bad that he won't have that experience because one Kids aren't playing outside, and two, how many people know their neighbors now? Mm-hmm. And so that is one thing, you know, the idea of trick or treating in your neighborhood and or in your apartment building because I've done both, and <laughs> knowing every person that lives there and and feeling connected and you know seeing somebody grow up, you know that I I, I feel bad that he's not gonna have that the same way that I did. I feel bad that he, his He's gonna have elements of different cultures because of you know me and his mom, but it won't be the same. I can't give him something from the source, right? Mm-hmm. He's getting secondhand knowledge from me, depending on how long my parents are around to give him firsthand knowledge. Like I'm, I'm uh, having to give him something that's filtered through the lens of somebody born here with their set of experiences. Like I feel bad that I can't give him quote-unquote culture, whatever that means, in a way that can preserve more of it. Hmm. I mean, those are just a handful of things. What is the thing you you think you will be able to replicate that that you're like most excited to teach him when it's time? I mean, look, I I don't know because it also depends on the willingness of my kid. Right now, I know that he doesn't like to be held too long. Hmm. (laughs) I don't know if that's just because he's 18 months or that's his personality. Like, I want to do my own thing. My mom always watched like sports with me especially tennis and i know like that's something i, I wanted i want to watch baseball with my kid my mom still watches basketball with me which is weird she got into basketball in her 60s but oh wow steph curry man is yeah. magic um <laughs> and we're new yorkers so that says a lot that's very weird but, yeah. but you know that being you know i want to be able to have real conversations with my kid i want to talk to him as an adult and not in a way where his childhood feels like You know, I have to be this young adult who takes up all this responsibility, but in a way where we can talk about things, you know, that are real, which is something that, again, the love my mom in particular, and it's not to say my father didn't love us, but my mom, like, certainly doing the bulk of the raising, that love that she gave us, the way she interacted with other human beings, the fact that our grandmother was in India, so she would introduce us to the older people in the building because that would be our surrogate grandparents, you know, while my grandmother wasn't there and we would spend afternoons with them because at least we would know how to interact with older people as a result. The idea of, like, instilling those kinds of values which are not religious but more, like, how do you connect with different types of humanity? Mm-hmm. Those bigger things, I, I feel that that's something because of who me and my partner are and because of the love I had growing up, I can, I can give them. And I know that's a lot vaguer than, like, I will make my kid a baseball player. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, what are your things, Gene? What are you, the things that you're upset that you won't be able to pass down and things that you're really excited and know that you can give your child? It's funny because it's exactly the same thing. Like, hmm. I grew up, again, like in a
1: inner city in South Philly um, on a block with a bunch of kids. And we, in the summertime, we were just outside all the time, right? Like, we were playing, right. playing basketball together, we were racing together. It was boys and girls playing together right like when we were really young it was just me and my sister and so like if she wanted to jump double dutch i would have to like tie the rope to the bannister outside of the house and be on the ends while she jumped double dutch i just like want that weird way that like all the little double dutch songs get like transmitted through a neighborhood i just like, like 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 wish that there would be a space like that for kids but i don't know if kids jump double dutch anymore i feel like a, i feel right. so old when i say that but the big thing that i'm excited about is like I mean, I think about this a lot. It's like the kind of letters we get from our listeners on the show a lot are about people trying to like find community with, you know, with other black people or Asian people or Latino people when they didn't grow up around them. And I feel really fortunate that I grew up in a world where like my teachers were black and Mm. um, all of the adults in my world were black, right? And all of my classmates were black. And so I got to like be around black people in this way that wasn't like that wasn't like mediated, you know, and, I, and this, it seems like that seems like a really obvious thing for a lot of us, but like I'm really looking forward to raising my child in a world on which like blackness is like just in the water and it's not a thing that I have to like uh, account for. I'm looking forward to the sort of like quotidian blackness uh, of the universe that like our kid will grow up in.
2: That's be- beautiful, Gene, because what you're saying basically is you want to live in a world where your child's existence is validated by the outside world. Absolutely.
1: I guess on a more sort of basic uh, like emotional
2: level, what has been the most surprising part of becoming a father? I mean, some I mean, one that the clichéd stuff was was right. It, you know, and that and also that it's okay to be clichéd, you know, like I'm not 22, I'm not trying to convince some hipster in Williamsburg that, you know, I listen to the right music and, you know, I read the right things. It's like, my life feels completely different. I don't see my friends as often, and generally I'm okay with it because I have a family. Um, I um look at my kid and I just, I just melt. I, I just am so happy that he's alive and healthy and I'm his father. And um, you know, being able to just hold him is the best feeling in the world.
1: All right, y'all, that's our show. Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. We're at the same place on IG. I'm on Twitter at Gee. If email is more your bag, ours is codeswitch at npr.org and subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletters. This episode was produced by Jess Kung and edited by Leah Donella and Steve Drummond. And of course, we would be remiss if we did not shout out the rest of the Code Switch Massive Karen Grigsby Bates, Christina Kalla, Kumari Devarajan, Alyssa Jong Perry, and Summer Topmod. Our art director is Ellie Johnson. Our intern is Nathan Pugh. Oh, by the way, I'm Gene Demby. Be easy, y'all. All right,
2: Harry. so where can people who want to hear your stand-up find you out in the real world? Well, uh, I'm going on tour for the first time in two years, uh, asterisk uh, pending the state of the global pandemic. Of course Yes And so I'll be in Burlington, Vermont March 10th to the 12th At the Vermont Comedy Club I'll be at the Laughing Tap in Milwaukee March 24th to the 26th I'll be uh, in Wilmington, Delaware At the Grand Opera House On uh, April 2nd If there are any opera fans present Don't go there if you want to see opera You're going to be very disappointed I'll be in Washington, D.C. Oh, turn up There you go April 7th to 9th at the Comedy Loft Uh, I'll be in uh, Richmond, Virginia on May 19th to the 21st at the Sandman Comedy Club. But uh, yeah, I'll be touring all over the country pending global pandemic. There's a lot of other dates both before and after that. And you can find them on my website, harrykundabulu.com. And Code Switch fans are amongst the best fans. I mean, you say that because you're... It's true. It's, uh, it's true for, for a comic that talks about race and uh, identity a lot. Uh, this is the home team. <laughs> this message
0: comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast.